might talk about some of the metaphors the Bible gives us to help us understand Ooh, church. Okay. Body, the bride, okay. family of God, army. Yeah, you mentioned some of that. Yeah, okay. Flock of sheep. I think you went through all of those, actually. I don't think I mentioned family. Okay. Yeah. I just remember when you said the flock of sheep, I said, haha, he has called us all idiots. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm included in that. Right, I know. <laughs> But I said it, and Jenna looked at me like, what? And I was like, I'll explain later. <laughs> <laughs> but I said, it's not a very complimentary metaphor right. for us. Yeah. But cool. Yeah, I'm ready when you guys are. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to this week's uh, Canaan SEL podcast. This is Daniel Carr, and uh, I'm here with Pastor Martin Winslow. And uh, today we're going to just kind of do a follow up conversation with um, what we started on this past Sunday, which is looking at a series called Churchology, going through the book of Titus. And so this past Sunday, we simply asked a very foundational question What is the church? And it's, it's, it's amazing to me, Martin, just how how confused and how off focus we can easily become when it comes to this mm. foundational, organic, yet critical doctrine or understanding yeah. of what who we are. What is the church? Right? Yeah. So um, we, we briefly address some of the misunderstandings of what the church is, you know, like the church building. Right. Um, what are some maybe other misunderstandings that people have of what is the church? Yeah, well, I think number one, like, like you said, definitely... The building thing, yeah, um, and you know, you you see it every day. I I know we were talking before we started that, you know, if if you're driving down the road um, and you pass a mosque, you don't say there's a Muslim, right? Right? You say there's a mosque. There is a differentiation, like in a lot of religions, but for some reason within Christianity, the church uh, has been. Um, identified with the building yeah. and with the people of God a lot of times, but mo- but I would say most of the time, especially in secular circles, yeah. the church is actually just the building. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. And that's why you had mentioned something during your sermon this last week that I thought was super interesting because I've heard the same thing, is when you talk to somebody who maybe you've invited to church or you've had a chance to share the gospel with and you're talking about the importance of gathering in the church, uh, meaning building, yep. that people are afraid they say things like, well, if I walk through that door... The whole building's going to fall right. in on me. <laughs> right. Right? Right. Not coming in the presence of the church like you, you know, yeah. but if I walk into that building, yeah. that's when everything's going to Because the thought is that that's where God lives. Right. You know, and we, that's even entered into our vernacular is mm-hmm. we call the church building the Lord's house. Right. Right. And technically, biblically, that's not, that's not accurate. Right. right. We, the people, are the Lord's house. We are his dwelling place. We are his sanctuary. Mm-hmm. And so, even though it might be split in hairs, mm-hmm. there's also some pretty significant theological ramifications yeah. uh, to if we're calling the Lord's house a building versus calling the Lord's house us. Absolutely. I mean, Paul even says, don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? Right. You know, so, you know, it's a really interesting Bible study to do is kind of chronicle the presence of God, mm-hmm. you know. And so, uh, it's just a fascinating development. Yeah. It's kind of, it's very progressive, mm-hmm. you know. I mean, it goes from walking with Adam and Eve in the garden, you know, right. I mean, there's that separation because of sin and then the whole Moses in the tabernacle and God revealed yep. himself in the tabernacle. Then it became the temple. Mm-hmm. And then you go to the book of Ezekiel and he chronicles the departure of the glory right. of God away from the temple. Right. And then you don't see the presence of God until Jesus. Right. Which is very interesting. In John chapter 1, you know, it says, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. Yeah. 
and verse 14 says, the word became flesh and dwelt right. among us. Now, that Greek word dwelt can be translated tabernacled. Right. Tabern- right. Jesus is the express manifestation right. of the presence of God. Well, then Jesus ascends. Yeah. And what does he do? He sends us the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit. who dwells within us. There you go. So now we are the temple. We are yeah. God's manifestation of his presence in and through us. It's a fascinating right. to study that progression of the development of the presence of God. Mm-hmm. And so for us to kind of revert back to Old Testament temple and say mm-hmm. this is God's house, this building, it's just theologically erroneous. Right. And it does have impl- implications in how we live. Right. You know, well, I've got to be a certain person when I'm at church building. Yeah. Because that's where God is, but how I live the rest of my life doesn't matter. Yep. And man, don't we see that? Absolutely. Absolutely. You see that. And, and you know, I think Jesus points that out really well in a post-resurrection appearance to Paul on the road to Damascus. When he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Yeah. Right? Well, Jesus is in heaven at the right hand of God the Father. That's what does that mean? Point. Yeah, right? that's right. He he means his body. That's right. Which is the church yeah. where the Holy Spirit dwells, you yeah. know? So to persecute the church is to persecute Jesus. That's right. Because we're so closely linked. Yeah. But isn't it amazing how much we try to differentiate between yeah. the church and Jesus? Absolutely. You know? Like you hear that yeah. said a lot is, well, I love Jesus. I just don't like the church. Right. What kind of sense does that make? Exactly. Biblically, then you don't love his body. That's right. Yeah. That's right. That's exactly right. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. So this whole thing, thing of what is the church. So we talked about a few misconceptions. You know, another misconception, and historically, mm-hmm. the Catholic Church um, has viewed oh, that yeah. the bishop mm-hmm. is the church. Right. You know, right. and so you, if you don't have a bishop, you don't have the church. If you have a bishop, you have the church. Mm-hmm. So again, there's just there's different avenues where... Yeah. There has been just a little tweak here, a tweak there that's led down a road of misunderstanding sure. the church. So, so we talked a little bit about what it's not, but what is the church? Mm-hmm. You mentioned you mentioned the body. Let's unpack that a little bit. You know, yeah. uh, I, th- I think we mentioned Sunday that the scripture does give us quite a few metaphors sure. and analogies, if you will, to give us a, a more robust understanding mm-hmm. of our identity as the church. But let's just very simple terms. What is the church? Let's just be clear. What yeah. is the church? Yeah, the church are the called out ones of God. You mentioned this Sunday when you took apart the two little Greek words, uh, ek, which is the preposition out of, and the word kaleo, which is the verb form of I call out. So the idea is it's the called out ones of God from the world. So if you were to think of it like uh, in an Ephesians 1 kind of a matter um, is you've got this picture of the world where God has, by His grace, revealed the gospel into certain hearts, and as the veil of darkness was taken away, those people were called out. They submitted the Holy Spirit and the gospel, and they became Christ's elect. And so that's, right. um, that's what we see, I think, scripturally, and you can see this as well. Um, when you know you mentioned the passage out of Matthew chapter 16 where Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Yep. And he says, blessed are you, uh, Simon, right. son of Jonah. Flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, mm. but my Father who is in heaven. Yes. And you also made an allusion to um, John chapter 1, which I think is really critical as well, where it talks about, to as many that have received him, to them he gives the power to become the sons of God. And he talks about not born of the flesh yeah. or the will of man, but born of God, right? right? It's this idea that God has called out certain people um, yeah. by His grace uh, to understand and believe the gospel. That's right. Yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah, and you know, First Peter two nine uh, really, I think, verb makes verb form out of church mm-hmm. when it says, um, 
you're a, you're a people for his possession so that you may proclaim mm. the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into mm. his marvelous there light. There's the called out ones, yeah. you know. So it's exactly right. The, the church or those who God calls mm. wakes us up from our mm. spiritual death um, to follow him and believe in him and trust in him and live for him. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a... And so those are the called out ones. Mm. Yeah, that mm. is the church. The church is the people who are called out to follow Jesus. And you know, when you look at all those metaphors, like we talked about briefly, the body, or yep. Paul saying, you're the temple of the Lord now, yep. right? All of those are really, um, they're special kind of sacred places. Mm. And so the idea that we can just carry on now, like, um, you know, we've been saved and we can do whatever we want with our bodies. I mean, Paul makes it clear, you've been bought with a price. Yes, right. You are not Therefore, your own. You're not your own. That's Therefore, right. glorify God in your bodies. And in that same conversation, 1 Corinthians, he's mm. talking about belonging to the body of Christ. Mm. You're not your own anymore. Yep. So it's the most intimate of places where Christ dwells. It is. It's intimate and it's very connected. You know, it's like in that First Corinthians 12 passage you're alluding to where Paul says, why why, why would the, the eye say to the hand, I don't need you? That's ludicrous, <laughs> right, right. right? So the body, is a that's a tremendous metaphor. It's got mm-hmm. so much truth for us, how we're all different. We have different functions, yeah. but we're all connected in Christ. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, and... How many times have you ever seen in your body your hand go one direction and your feet go the other direction? Right. It doesn't happen. You move together as a body, or there's serious there's serious problems, right? right? Um, you know, I love the, the analogy that the human body has different anatomical systems. Hmm. You know, like you have the skeletal system, the respiratory system, the cardiovascular yeah. system. What happens if any one of those systems fails? Right. Life ceases. You know, same is true in the church. There's a lot of different mm-hmm. systems. You know, we've got to be sharing the gospel, mm-hmm. advantage. We've got to be worshiping. We've got to be discipling. And if we're not doing all of these things, you know, mm-hmm. we kind of have seven core values here, which are really seven systems, then, you know, life ceases right. to exist. So right. that you're really not a church. And, not- and, you know, it's even, it's super practical too, isn't it? Like, we've even noticed, like, post COVID, really. I, I'm calling us kind of in a post-COVID situation because you can come to church now yep. and be yep. without no your masks. Yep. Praise Jesus. But we we have still lost a lot of folks that were volunteering before. And, you know, just to even, like, fulfill our obligations within our ministries and the programs we want to offer, even, like, in children or whatever, it's difficult if all the parts of the body right. don't show up. That's right. Right. Yep. Yeah, there's, there's still quite a few that are still a little nervous and mm-hmm. staying at home, you know. Uh, our physical attendance and our online numbers still add up to about what we were. Yeah. Right. Uh, we've got some new people. Yeah, I'm sure there's probably a few that have don't go to Cane anymore. But um, yeah, it's 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 being difficult. You know. Yeah. It's where I think we're feeling the body not being all in sync and right. in a good health right now, uh, just because people are we're just not all together yet. Right. Back together yet. Um, it's true. So body's a great analogy. What's another biblical metaphor? Uh, for the church, yeah, um, the bride, the bride of, of Christ. Christ. Yeah, what do we learn from that? What What does God teach us about the church, about us through that metaphor? Yeah, I think you know, like if you look at Ephesians the fifth chapter, which is used a lot, like in you know, premarital counseling yep. or any kind of marital counseling. Absolutely. Really, it's this idea that <clears throat> you know we see that Christ um, died 
for his bride. And I think the analogy is so powerful because what man, right, who truly loves his wife would not lay down his life Absolutely. for his wife. Yeah. And so it's this powerful analogy of love, right, that uh, is simply at least on this side of heaven, uh, probably the greatest love that a person can express That's right. yep. within the marriage relationship, mm-hmm. right? We love our kids and we love, you know, our friendships and those type of things. But there's that there's that unifying kind of mysterious relationship that a man can have just with his wife. Yep. And, and Jesus is saying, you know, that's the same way. You know, through Paul, uh, that I have a relationship with my church. Yep. I'm, I'm going to lay down everything, all Absolutely. my rights, Absolutely. my right to be glorified in heaven. Philippians two does a good job at kind of laying out this song of Christ, where mm-hmm. he he comes and you know he humbles himself to the point of death, even death on a cross mm-hmm. for his bride. So I think that's a powerful it is. analogy. It is. You know, and, and, and God even picks up this metaphor in the Old Testament with Israel. You know, he so many times when Israel cheats on God mm. and worships mm-hmm. false God, God's said, you have committed adultery. Right. In fact, he even raises up Hosea to marry Gomer, the prostitute, as a picture yeah. of God being married to this adulterous Israel, mm-hmm. right? So God's people as his bride has been a powerful metaphor the whole time. And I think you've nailed it. That is the that is the most intimate relationship we have is our marriage. And it is our most deepest, most loving relationship. Mm-hmm. And yeah, we that's where we learn the most mm-hmm. about our love relationship with, with God. That's a powerful yeah. metaphor. You know, Ray Ortland, he he said, you know, in the garden the the sin of Adam and Eve was so great, obviously. It destroyed, you know, there's this these judgments that are handed down by God. But he says, because of God's kindness and graciousness, as a remnant of Eden, he allowed marriage to continue on. Yep. You know, it's that special blessing That's right. and kindness of God just to allow it to Amen continue. To that. It's the only institution that carried on from Eden into mm. the fallen life yeah. of humanity. Yeah, man, all of creation, actually. Mm. Yeah, that's right. Um, another powerful metaphor that Jesus himself used was that of the flock of sheep mm. being led for and cared for by the shepherd. Um, so what, what do we learn from this metaphor about the church? Yeah, I think we can learn a lot of things because Jesus brings up, even in parables, he talks about, you know, a wandering sheep, yep. right? He That's leaves right. the 99 to yep. rescue the one. And if you know anything about sheep, you're, you're going to see that they're not the brightest animals, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's yeah. not that big of a compliment, you said. That's right. It's not very complimentary of us. <laughs> yeah. And it was not uncommon for a wandering sheep for the shepherd to come and even break its legs and throw it over its back and yep. carry that one sheep around so that he wouldn't lose it to the wolves. Yeah. Um, you also see within that metaphor, too, that he's the good shepherd in John yes. 10, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. This kind right. of, again, we're back to that same metaphor, that idea of, of Christ who's over the sheep and willing to just lay down his life for these goofy you know, <laughs> right. animals that don't understand exactly what he's doing or what he's after, but he's willing to sacrifice himself to the wolf mm. in order to guard those sheep. So right. another great analogy of God's love. Fantastic. We also have the analogy or the, the metaphor of the family of God. You know, mm. Ephesians chapter <clears throat> 2 um, says you're being built up into the household of God. Yeah. You know, and so that, that relationship that we have with each other based in Christ as a brother and sister, you know, yeah. it's really interesting. Uh, in in Matthew Gospel, Matthew Jesus uh, is approached by these Sadducees who want to test him about his theology of resurrection. So they say Jesus in the res- you know, tells them this grand story, makes up this hypothetical story 
um, where there's this woman married to this guy, the guy dies, yeah. they don't have a child. So based on the law of Nazarite, the um, uh, law of Leverett actually, that she was then to marry the brother. Mm. So they got married, still no child, etc. All the way there were seven brothers all married to the same woman because the law of Leverett said uh, that a brother was to marry his brother, his dead brother's wife to carry on his dead brother's right. line, right? So. Uh, anyway, so they say, in this scenario, Jesus, who is she married to in your resurrection, mm-hmm. you know? And Jesus says, you, you just don't understand the ways of the Lord nor the resurrection. Because right. in the resurrection, none are married nor given in marriage, mm-hmm. right? So what does that mean? Does that mean, um, you know, that in in heaven, I'm not going to know Tara as my wife? That's exactly right. She's my sister mm-hmm. in Christ. And so that, that familial relationship mm-hmm. is the one of eternal right. nature, and so that's really strong. Do you remember? You grew up in church some, mm-hmm. but when you were growing up, did you like you went to an adult man? Mm-hmm. Did you say, "Hey, Kevin," "Hey, Mister Kevin," what'd you call him? Brother, brother. That's right. Hey, brother. Uh-huh. Yeah. Right. Hey, brother Kevin. Hey, brother yeah. Martin. Right. That's just the way we did things. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was goofy and silly at the time, yeah. but. You know, really, it's just to emphasize yeah. that eternal nature of that relationship. Yeah, but but how powerful is it now? I remember just not too long ago, you you baptized in Noel, and yeah. you said, "I baptize you, my sister." That's right. Like, there's something special about Absolutely. that. I I baptized Nazi, and I was like, "I baptize you, my brother." That's right. Like, in a different way. Now we relate to each other in eternity, That's like right. you mentioned. Absolutely. You know, Fascinating. and I think it's beautiful. You know, John talks about in in First John. And he's, of course, he's talking about Christian relationships, but he says, you know, if, if someone hates his brother or sister, he walks in darkness. Well, you're, you're kind of like, well, wait a minute, John's not talking about the, the family, but, but he uses the analogy of the family because, because no way would a brother ever hate his brother. That's like, right. it's, it's supposed to be the closest of relationships, right? That's, right? That's the scandal behind Cain and Abel, That's right? right? And why it's such a Absolutely. grievous crime before God That's right. is brothers are supposed to love each other. Mm-hmm. And so the analogy makes sense in First John because you can't hate your brother. you got to love your brother. That's right. You know? That's, right. <clears throat> That's exactly right. It's a powerful, powerful metaphor. And then uh, just maybe one other we'll talk about briefly is just the army. Mm-hmm. You know, First Timothy mm-hmm. 2 talk, talks about being a soldier in Christ and don't being entangled mm-hmm. in civilian affairs and, you know, seeking to... Um, honor the the commander, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, seek to yeah, seek to please your commander. So there's just a lot of there that, that mm-hmm. applies to working together, training, mm-hmm. um, you know, the fight, the spiritual warfare that we engage upon day in and day out. There's there's just it's so rich. Mm-hmm. So all of these help us understand who we are as the called out ones. Um, so let's just kind of bring this to a close. Mm-hmm. So what is the implications for me and how I live? based on the fact that I am a part of the church? Yeah, I, I, that's a great question. I mean, right, that's what we're coming to here is like, okay, sum it up. What's it all mean? Yep. And, and I think it means there's no Lone Ranger Christians according to the Scripture. That's right. Right? You know, you, you finish with this idea of soldiering, right? Mm-hmm. And when you look at Ephesians 6, which is that famous passage about yep. putting on the armor of God. That's right. All of those statements or imperatives about you put on the helmet of salvation, you put on all these things, uh, are actually in the plural. 
you, meaning the yep. church. That's they're right. all plural yous. We read them in English and we think they're like, oh, he's telling me to do it. But he's actually telling the church in the plural. And so it's this idea that block upon block, you know, building upon building, God is, is building this wonderful, beautiful church. And each one of us need each other. Hmm. And we need each other uh, in many ways. For accountability, we need each other. We need each other for encouragement. Mm-hmm. We need each other for discipleship. We need each other, you know, to, to reach the world with the gospel mm-hmm. and to believe the same things. While the world and the culture go one direction, we go uh, the direction that God wants us to. Yeah. And so I, th- I think it means there's no Lone Ranger Christians. We are connected, and to not be connected is to be in sin. That's right. Amen to that. And we are connected. We are unified, which is what Jesus prayed for. Yeah. John 17, night before he was crucified, he prays for us to be one as he and the Father are one. But as we're unified and as we are following Jesus, mm-hmm. um, the gates of Hades does not prevail against him. Mm, you know? right. So we'll finish up here in Matthew 16, mm-hmm. where Jesus first uses that word translated into English as church. He says, you're Peter. Of course, we unpack that. And on this rock, I will build my mm. church and the gates of Hades will not That's prevail right. against it. And I love that image mm. because the gates of Hades, that's a stationary fortified position. Mm. So I'm, I'm going back to my military right mm-hmm. now. Well, that means Hades is a defensive. That means that the church is on the offense. That's right. That means we are invading darkness. We are bringing the light into the darkness. We are we are conquering. We will not be overcome, right? And so that's just a beautiful picture of the gospel going forward to accomplish its purpose and uh, for the glory of God. So Amen. That, so that people will be saved. Amen. So we know that uh, we we win. The believers ultimately win when Christ returns. It's all a done deal. That's right. Yeah. Amen. Good stuff. Yeah. So. Anyway, fun discussion. Um, good to have you here today on Kane and STL Podcast. And uh, we will talk to you soon next time on the podcast.